The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. As we make our way through the day here on Bloomberg and through this hour with myself and Kaylee, because we've got news here, Kaylee, in just a couple of hours, there's going to be a vote on the House floor uh, for a continuing resolution that appears to be the path to avoiding a government shutdown at the end of this week. They're whipping votes now, but everything we're hearing would suggest that this is actually going to pass. Something that needs to pass with 290 votes, since they aren't doing things through the usual rules process, that is suspended. So you need a two-thirds majority. And that means, Joe, that hmm. it's going to take Democrats. That's Remember correct. when we were here at the end of September and what McCarthy <laughs> ended up having to do was right. pass a clean continuing resolution with right. Democratic support and he lost the gavel as a result? Well, uh, let's go round two and see if Mike Johnson can <laughs> hang in there longer. Yeah, he seems to be getting a pass this time, although it looks like he's short about 50 Republican votes. To your point, that just might not matter uh, when Democrats show up, but let's talk to one. Yep. Uh, right now, Congresswoman Gwen Moore, Democrat from Wisconsin, is with us right now, live from Capitol Hill. And Congresswoman, it's good to see you. Appreciate your coming along here. Are you about to get Mike Johnson fired? <laughs> well, you know, I didn't vote for him for speaker. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see if he lasts uh, longer than than uh, than this vote. Well, yeah, that's another way of me asking you if you will vote yes on this continuing resolution. Well, you know, I'm, I'm still working through it. Um, it's, I don't want to see the government shut down. Um, I do think there's a, a, there's deeply flawed in areas of, that are of grave concern to me, like the, the like women, infants, and children program, the WIC program, which in Wisconsin mm-hmm. we've seen a really big uptake uh, in the use of that, uh, and it, we're going to be about a billion dollars short. Uh, and of course. We aren't meeting any of our emergency funding needs for uh, all of the war Mm -hmm. and conflict that's going on. Um, But uh, I I don't want the government to shut down. And uh, it's very likely that I'm going to vote for this continuing resolution. So, Congresswoman, you just mentioned some of the emergency funding needs, be it Israel or Ukraine. Are Democrats losing leverage here if they vote for the CR to get those things passed ultimately? Well, this CR doesn't have that funding in it, and uh, exactly, and and of course, we, we passed a resolution earlier, uh, which I of course didn't vote for, which was a, a fourteen billion dollar package for Israel only, but only with a gun to our heads uh, to take away the uh, the the funding for the IRS, to take billions away from the IRS. Uh, thus crippling our ability to catch the tax sheets. Um, and so that funding isn't going anywhere. So we're, we're hopeful that, uh, that separately uh, the Senate or, you know, will send us a package with not only funding for these wars, Ukraine and Israel, but humanitarian aid to the people in Gaza 
desperately needed. There are about 60,000 people, we're told. I don't know if there's a account from the National Park Service uh, in front of the Capitol, on the west front of the Capitol. I got caught in the traffic coming in this morning, Congresswoman, because so many streets are closed. It's a pro-Israel rally. I can only imagine that there are some counter-protesters out there as well. But your leader, Hakeem Jeffries, and the Speaker of the House are among the many dignitaries who are speaking uh, to this impassioned crowd today. Do you think that moves the ball at all on the request for funding? Well, there is a willingness, I think, among Democrats and Republicans to support Israel. Uh, And, of course, people do respect the, 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 the First Amendment. I think it's extremely important that we invite people and welcome people to the Capitol uh, to voice their concerns uh, uh, of all kinds. And so unlike January 6th, I expect that this is a rally which will be basically positive, uh, which will affirm uh, Israel's right to exist, uh, and even the counter-protesters, if there are any, I think uh, are going to be respectful uh, of this right. I don't know if that'll help or hurt, because like I said, I think the votes are here to provide funding Mm -hmm. to Israel. But I do think that many of us want to see uh, it coupled with uh, efforts uh, to provide humanitarian assistance to Gaza, uh, as well as providing funding for the Ukraine war. Well, and clearly, Congresswoman, just the very fact that there are tens of thousands of individuals there representing uh, on the mall today speaks to the intensity of the moment and the passion that is still very much uh, front and center when it comes to this conflict in particular. I just wonder, though, if that's still going to remain, uh, if the same impotence will be there as time goes on. What do you think realistically is the timeline we're looking at for passage of funding for Israel? Well, what I'll tell you is that there's a lot of concern uh, about uh, tapping this war down uh, on many sides, even folk who support Israel uh, and support its right to defend itself are very concerned um, about making sure that our ally Israel really uh, grounds itself and its struggle and, and, and is mindful of the humanitarian concerns and the the Geneva Conventions that uh, revolve around how to conduct a war. You know, I am not kidding. It is very, very complicated uh, 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 on the war activity. Uh, You know, I sympathize with Israelis' mission to stop Hamas, uh, but they have to be Mm -hmm. ever mindful uh, of the cost because uh, you can win the war and lose the peace. And we do want to eventually, what's going to happen the day after this war? And, and, and God willing, the fighting will stop soon. How about the story in Ukraine, Congresswoman? That seems to be a much heavier lift right now on Capitol Hill, largely because of Republican opposition to continued funding, or at least funding without quote-unquote accountability, which hasn't really been defined uh, by a lot of the the members who are talking about it. It, It's starting to look like once the CR passes that that might be the last train to leave the station. Will all of this have to wait until next year? Well, you know, again, there hasn't been um, 
there, there, there hasn't been a funding initiative for Israel. And so I think we have another kick at the cat with this, with the, with the, not only the Democrats in the Senate, but with Mitch McConnell uh, as well and Republicans to send us something over. Uh, we're going to be here, uh, you know, until at least the middle of, of December, December 15th, I would, I would, I would think. Uh, so mm. another vehicle can move for this supplemental funding. What we have heard from our speaker is that they wanted to stop the government from shutting down and didn't want to obscure uh, that mission with the, the the funding for the wars. So I'm taking him at his word that uh, that the, the lane would still be open for that funding. And it's never too late yeah. to get money. <laughs> well, it sounds like what you're saying, Congresswoman, is really this is something that will have to originate in the Senate, given the House has passed more than $14 billion of Israel funding, but it rescinded uh, money from the IRS, therefore making it dead on arrival in the Senate. When we think about all of these things, whether supplemental or just simple appropriation bills in terms of funding that are going to have to be reconciled between the Senate and the House, assuming that this continuing resolution passes, gets signed, the government doesn't shut down this weekend— how likely is it in your mind that it either shuts down partially on January 19th or February 2nd as you try to reconcile these things? Well, I'll tell you, it, you know, it all depends on whether or not the Freedom Caucus goes after Mike Johnson uh, and deposes him for working with Democrats. So this continuing resolution is definitely not going to pass. Um, just its structure requires uh, a supermajority. So clearly, uh, Democrats would have to vote for this continuing resolution. And if that's the red line for some of the conservatives that brought McCarthy down, then then that would be another wrinkle. Um, it's, for the life of me, um, it is hard to see why they we would want to go through another. I mean, we're going to be anxious for two more months. It's going to be hard to stomach our Thanksgiving dinner and our Christmas dinner, knowing that we've got to go through this again. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, once they pass the 12, all 12 appropriations bills, um, uh, uh, December, you know, 18th say, uh, and, you know, and, and funding is going to run out uh, and they want us to vote on some of the crazy cuts that they're probably going to be proposing in our appropriations bills. It'll be another showdown. So, you know, um, I think stopping a government shutdown, you know, by Friday uh, is admirable, but we're just setting ourselves up for a shutdown in January if, in fact, they continue down the path of not observing the deal that then Speaker McCarthy made with the president, which, you know, we, you know, we gave up a, a billion, a trillion dollars in that deal. That was not a frivolous deal. Uh, and were we to have stuck with that deal, I think we'd be in a much better place. We shouldn't be here today. So it's hard for me to project what's going to happen on January 19th. But I do know that yeah. uh, today will be nothing more than a stopgap. I'm guessing Kevin McCarthy would agree with you on that deal, uh, Congresswoman. 
Have you heard from Hakeem Jeffries? Is the Democratic leadership behind this CR or is he kind of telling you to vote your conscience? What's the word from upstairs? Yeah, he's not whipping on this at all. So we're free to vote, you know, how we will. It's not the deal that we created. It's not the deal that Hakeem Jeffries put together. Uh, they didn't put it together with our help and our support. So I think that he is leaving it up, uh, up to us. And like I said, I've been with my legislative director all afternoon working through uh, uh, some of the things that I find very disappointing. Uh, uh, and I mentioned, you know, in particular, the WIC funding, uh, yeah. uh, women and infants and children. Uh, and, uh, you know, to me, uh, that's very, very critical. So I, I, I may vote for the CR today, but I'll be, I'll be watching uh, and they'll need my vote or want my vote in the future. So they need to be mindful of yeah. the things that are important uh, to people. You know, like Henry me. Cuellar says that he, he's opposing this uh, bill because of the WIC funding. Kaylee, he might not be the only one, it sounds like. Yeah, and again, well, it's going to come I, down I, to the math here. Mm -hmm. Please, Congressman. Well, I'll tell you. You know, I'm I'm in a state that's governed by a Democratic governor. So uh, the provisions, we may be able to negotiate our way through it. I think some of the children that are going to suffer the most come from those red states uh, where there's a general opposition to accepting um, the support, you know, providing the maintenance of effort or whatever. But I can see Henry Cuellar not wanting to vote for it. You know, there's a lot of children in his district, a lot of needy children, and he's in a state, mm -hmm. you know, where, uh, you know, uh, you know, people, you know, eschew yeah. government support. Well, Congresswoman, as we think about uh, those who are needy and those who may be struggling with higher prices that they are facing because of inflation, obviously we got uh, some better news on the inflation front today in that consumer prices did not rise as much as expected. Things are slowing down. And yet what we consistently see is that people still don't feel good about the economy. It's reflected in polls, not just in terms of their overall sentiment, but in their feelings about who's in charge here, Democrats in control of the White House. What do you think your party needs to change in terms of messaging? What's missing here? Well, I tell you, it's, it's, uh, we, 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 we do need for some of these things to take hold in the economy. I think it's a really good sign. I don't think Jerome Powell and the Fed are going to raise interest rates uh, anymore, uh, anytime soon. So people will start to feel the impact of that. Um, and, and some of the investments that we have made uh, take time to seep into the e economy. And so I do think that uh, we're a year away from this election. Um, we have made a tremendous investment uh, in job creation. And I think that, you know, we all saw the streets and roads torn up this summer. Uh, and that that's that, in addition to Jerome Powell not raising interest rates uh, and credit uh, becoming more available to people, I think people are going to start to feel the impact. There's a lot of effort to train people up, to get them involved in brand new economy. And I do think that it's not a matter of messaging. It's a matter of of uh, being like uh, Missouri, the show me state. I think we need mm -hmm. to show people uh, how they're benefiting. 
spending time with Congresswoman Gwen Moore, uh, the Democrat from Wisconsin, serves on the Ways and Means Committee. And I'd like to ask you lastly, if I dare, in our minute and a half here, Congresswoman, about something called revenues. We talk a lot about cuts around here, and there's a lot of talk about balancing the budget and lowering the deficit. At what point is your committee going to start raising revenues to start closing the gap? Well, you know, from your lips to God's ears, I mean, we have tried by providing the monies to to the IRS. And one of the things that we discovered under our jurisdiction is that someone like Donald Trump's taxes, for example, the IRS just didn't have the personnel to be able to go through a complex uh, uh, mm. uh, 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 tax return such as Donald Trump's. And there are many individuals uh, who avoid taxes uh, because they have complicated, uh, uh, you know, uh, tax things. Uh, some some of these yeah. deductions are uh, are ones to which they're entitled, and others are just plain old uh, a tax evasion. And well, you know, I'm going to uh, get a bunch of hate was- mail for asking you that question, just for framing the question, Congresswoman. We're not allowed to talk about it, but I do feel like at some point. We're going to need to go there. I wish we had more time, Congresswoman. Thank you for being with us. Let us know how you vote. Congresswoman Gwen Moore with us live from Capitol Hill. I'm Joe Matthew with Kaylee Lines. This is Sound On, live from Washington, only on Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Fascinating conversation uh, earlier with Citadel's Ken Griffin, an exclusive interview you heard uh, with Bloomberg's Shanali Basik, uh, Kaylee. It, it, it took the better part of an hour, and we were glued to it, yeah. as we tend to be when he's speaking, and, and got to a lot of... A territory here, as you would expect. We mm-hmm. talked about the economy, interest rates, and it veered into politics and geopolitics as the president prepares uh, to meet with President Xi tomorrow. We've got a lot to hear balancing on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we heard from the president himself before his departure to San Francisco where that meeting will take place tomorrow, in which President Biden said that he does not want to decouple from China. He's just seeking a normalization in relations. Specifically, he's looking at military to military uh, communications. That's a very high priority. And maybe that's something that Ken Griffin would have would like to hear the president say is we're not looking to decouple because his warning today, Joe, was that that would have really serious consequences. Well, we're not decoupling, right? We were were, de-risking, de-risking. Diversifying. That we heard. Here's what Ken Griffin said earlier today on Bloomberg. So it's really important that we try to find common ground to build a better relationship with China on rather than continuing this downward spiral of tit for tat on trade policies and otherwise. 
a downward spiral on tit-for-tat trade policies, yeah. um, which, you know, we talk a lot about the, the intervention that the administration has, has tried to have with high-tech mm -hmm. chips, trying to keep out of China. You could look to a lot of different areas yeah. for that. And, of course, China is not the only uh, economic partner, if I can use that word, that we're dealing with this on. Yeah, it's a big one. And mm -hmm. Ken Griffith pointed this out, that the U.S., he says, imports circa $500 billion of goods from China a year, that these economies are just really closely tied together. But whether or not it is diversifying or de-risking, whatever it is, though, the fact remains, Joe, that given a lot of the tension in this relationship, the U.S. is turning to other partners as well, trying to do yes, this friend-shoring exactly. thing we also uh, sometimes hear about, trying to protect national security interests. And what that means is that a lot of this is looking at supply chains, elsewhere and just firming up relations with countries that aren't Well, China. that's absolutely right, which brings us to our conversation uh, with the special envoy. The former Congressman Joe Kennedy is with us now, live on Bloomberg. You might not realize he is as well, the U.S. Special Envoy to Northern Ireland for Economic Affairs. And Congressman, it's great to see you. Thank you for joining us. We've really been looking forward to talking with you about this. And I know that you're recently back from a trip to Northern Ireland. You led a delegation uh, with a, a couple dozen executives on that trip. Joe Biden, when he made his trip to Northern Ireland earlier this year, and I think it was back in April, which I find hard to believe now, marking the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, talked about the impact of diplomacy here, sustained diplomacy. And I wonder what, what the economic answer is to that diplomacy. So Joe and Kaylee, first off, just thanks for having me. Thanks for your interest and, and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Um, being with President Biden uh, in Belfast now back in April was uh, an extraordinary moment because it was an opportunity to, to celebrate not just the people of Northern Ireland, but what partnerships can in fact do and how they can help transform communities. Northern Ireland has come a very long way in a very short period of time when you look at uh, that trajectory over the course of the last 25 years and, and even longer, candidly. And the opportunities that are there before them at, at the moment are quite extraordinary. And the opportunities that mm. the United States and the 230 businesses that are doing uh, already, American businesses that, that are doing business there, uh, the impact that they have had across their society is, is quite stunning. And so all of this, I think, builds in a unique moment and unique opportunities that Northern Ireland has at this moment to uh, work alongside the United States and some of our strategic interests. When do you think U.S. businesses are actually going to more firmly seize that opportunity, though? Where did the real investment dollars show up in a more material way? Oh, I mean, um, Kaylee, when we were over there just two weeks ago or so, uh, the controller for the state of New York announced $50 million in investment, further investment. He'd already put in uh, over $60 million into Northern Ireland over the course of the past several years. So he, he doubled down, put in, announced uh, $50 million more. Coca-Cola um, announced a $20 million expansion for a bottling uh, line in Northern Ireland, which has been at uh, one of their key facilities, employing a couple dozen more people. Um, but look, I think one of the biggest challenges, candidly, that Northern Ireland faces isn't um, from some of the investment opportunity. It's actually from the perception that a number of American, uh, Americans have about when you say Belfast or you say Northern Ireland, what, what comes to mind? Um, and one of the big objectives what President Biden asked me to do was to say, hey, take some of these business leaders, walk them through downtown Belfast, walk them through the safest city of its size in the entire United Kingdom, walk them through the happiest part of the United Kingdom, walk them through the communities where if you have a college degree, the unemployment rate is essentially zero, where Citigroup has nearly 4,000 employees. 
PwC has nearly 4,000 employees. Let them see the enormous gains that have been made here, hard earned and hard won by the people of Northern Ireland with support from their friends and support of businesses like Liberty Mutual, which at that time was headed by a Belfast native, Ted Kelly, after the Good Friday Agreement, that was a, a critical investor and friend alongside some of these businesses to help spread that, as it's called, a peace dividend more broadly across society. And that's what the president's asked me to do, but it's coming. And it was, I think, an extraordinary moment for us and our delegation to see that, sense it, and look at the opportunities uh, provided by this new agreement in tribute to the British government and the Windsor framework to actually incentivize Northern Ireland as a potential uh, place for uh, investment to all, to all of Europe. Well, it sounds like a successful uh, trip, Congressman. I, I'm guessing that you wouldn't mind taking a couple of your former colleagues on Capitol Hill for a walk right now. The, the level <laughs> of discord that we're seeing, uh, I'd love to ask you about, but I wonder if it, if it actually impacts deal-making abroad, uh, commitments from other countries when they see a, a legislature that sometimes lately does not function. Uh, Joe, look, I, I talk to uh, my old colleagues there almost every day. Um, it, it's hard. It's raw, as you saw today, um, and you see most days. Um, <laughs> you can sense the feeling from a number of folks of despite um, the best intentions of some that are really trying on both sides of the aisle and across both sides of the Capitol that are trying to try to find ways to make the place work, that there's forces there that are really set on making sure it doesn't. And, you know, uh, democracy is hard. It's easier to break than make work. Um, but it does mean that we all share a responsibility in trying to, to make this work. And, um, you know, I think without question, it makes it more difficult. That being said, you know, markets had a good day today. Um, and this is something that we, we all still need to work pretty hard to make sure that the United States, um, you know, politically, economically, um, legally, just that the mm -hmm. structural frameworks here remain sound so that we can continue to benefit from it. Well, sir, you say that democracy is hard and maybe other democracies like the one you are working closely with know that and can recognize it. But those countries that aren't led in a democratic fashion may say, well, why would we want that? And I wonder if if the real issue for the U.S. in terms of perception abroad is with some of those other countries, like, say, I don't know, China, as President Biden is getting set to meet with Xi Jinping tomorrow. Well, you've also seen, Kaylee, the, and it's a good, good question, right? You've seen perceptions of uh, Chinese, according to recent polling, of the United States has actually increased markedly over the course of the past several months. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hesitate to wholly put, you know, uh, too much credit in, um, in polling where, um, you know, media isn't as free and open as it is here in the United States. Um, and mm -hmm. when you think of the, the ability of government to make decisions for its people, yeah, certainly those people making decisions think that autocracies might be better. Turn around and ask, ask some of the other folks that are on the other side of those decisions how they feel about living in an authoritarian system rather than one that is open, free, and responsive. And look, we've got major structural issues in our democracy that we need to work on and we need to invest in and that haven't gotten the, the attention that I think, um, well, candidly, I think some of us have taken for granted that we didn't need to invest in these structures of democracy because we just figured that they were settled. Democracy is never settled. It is continually earned. And we as a society, I don't care where you are, fall on that political spectrum, have to invest in it. And when you don't, there, there's consequences. 
Well, I know that you've been busy in your own way uh, with the Groundwork Project, uh, helping to organize folks around the country separate from your duties with the State Department here. Congressman, I wonder, uh, you and I have been talking for a long time since before you served in Congress. <laughs> I wonder if you're just glad to not be in the middle of it right now, or if you'd like to come here and knock some heads together. <laughs> uh Joe, I, as you know, I've got a young family. It's been nice to spend some, some additional time with them. And, and candidly, uh, when you have a chance to, um, when I talk to my colleagues that are still sitting in office um, and who are working very hard to try to make the system work but can feel, um, can feel it blocked right, by forces beyond their control, um, a couple of good friends announced their retirement this past weekend. Um, saying, you know, it, it essentially isn't worth it anymore. And while I understand that decision on a personal basis for them, I ache for our country because these positions are critically important to making the basic uh, features of our, of our nation work and of democracy work. And whether people understand it wholly or not, people around the world do look to the United States uh, to be a place where um, government works, where people try to stand up and, and do the right thing. Um, and when you've got some of the highlights that you're seeing coming out of, uh, of the Capitol and out of our democracy of, uh, in recent days and, and weeks and months, um, that can be harder to do. But without question, it matters. There's still good people there um, and good people on both sides of the aisle and again, on both sides of the Capitol. But um, this takes work and this takes effort. And, you know, for all of us, mm -hmm. that isn't just going to happen because you want it to. You got to you got to put some muscle into it. Yeah. So you you are in communication, as you say, frequently with your colleagues who still uh, are in Congress. What about the communication you're having in your role now? You're trying to convince businesses that operate in the U.S. to also invest uh, in Northern Ireland. But when you're having conversations with those business leaders, what are they telling you about how they view the political environment? Um, so that was part of the benefit of, of taking this group and over 50 uh, business leaders over to Northern Ireland was for them to get a sense of what it was like over there um, and to see it for, for themselves and not just, you know, read about it or experience it or candidly hear what their parents or what other people might have thought about it because people transit through Dublin frequently or London frequently but, but haven't made that trip up to Belfast or haven't gone to a border region like Newry or haven't quite visited a, a city like Derry that has walls dating four centuries ago. But if you go to Derry, you'll also find out that Seagate, one of the world's uh, leading manufacturers of hard drives, has had a facility there for decades. When you go to, um, to Belfast and find out it's the number one destination for cybersecurity investment in all of Europe, right? They, they're surprised. You go to Newry and you see that it's home to a billion dollar financial services uh, firm in First Derivative. There's an extraordinary story to tell. And, you know, while you can look back on these times of uh, the, the troubles and the history of Northern Ireland and say, gosh, they've got a long way to go, I kind of turn that around and say, look how far you've come, right? Look at what the United States did in our founding, right? We wrote a constitution, we threw it out about a dozen years later, we wrote a new one. We still didn't recognize women as people or um, anybody other than a white Protestant man, a rich white Protestant man as having any sort of stature in our society. We fought a civil war and are still wrestling with, with the remnants of it. And so to turn back around and say for Northern Ireland that was in some aspect of conflict for literally hundreds of years, to see that they've mm -hmm. come this far in 25 is nothing short of extraordinary. They've done the hard part. Mm -hmm. There's an opportunity here for precision manufacturers, medical device companies, pharmaceutical companies, financial services companies that are looking for 
an opportunity, a, a landing pad to invest in Europe and gain access to Europe and gain access not just to the EU, but the UK. Northern Ireland is the only region in the world that will have unfettered market access to both those, uh, both those areas. And so there's a real opportunity going forward for companies that are aware of it, willing to invest in it and put some time in, and I think they'll reap the rewards from it. Joe Kennedy, the former congressman, U.S. Special Envoy to Northern Ireland for Economic Affairs. We thank you for the long view and your perspective today. I hope your family as well. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Kaylee. It's great to have you with us here. I'm Joe Matthew with Kaylee Lines. This is Bloomberg Sound On. You might not be aware of what the congressman was referring to early uh, <laughs> in that interview, but Kaylee, I don't even know what to say about some of the stuff that's happened today. Yeah. The Congress has become Fight Club. Yes. There's a few incidents we could talk about that's here, Joe. One being evidently former speaker, ousted speaker Kevin McCarthy elbowed one of his ousters, Congressman Tim Burchett of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Then Burchett questioned whether he had any guts, tried to chase after him. McCarthy says this was all innocent. There was no intentional bup. So that was one thing. Yeah, well, um, he says he got a shot to the kidney. Yeah. <laughs> and Matt Gates is now I, I trying to open an here. ethics probe into right. this particular incident. No problem. Tim Burchett's been on with us. He has. In, in this very space before. Uh, the congressman was talking to a reporter he says McCarthy jabbed him from behind when he was walking. He talked about it on CNN. Uh, got elbowed in the back, and it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys. And I turned back, and there clean was shot. there was Kevin, and um, and I, I for a minute I was kind of what the heck just happened? And then I, um, you know, I, I chased after him. Of course, he's a as I've stated many times, he's a he's a bully with seventeen million dollars in a security detail. Wow. Okay, then um, mm. he does have a lot of money. <laughs> and I guess he has a security detail. We got uh, we got a response from McCarthy. Yes. he chased him down. They had a face off after that. McCarthy said, "If he hit somebody, they would know it." Oh God. Okay. So that's uh, one episode. Uh, Burchett says he did catch up with him, and the the, the security detail was waiting. as he always did. Yeah. Does he just uh, denies it or uh, uh, blames somebody else or something? You know, and it was just a. Little heated, but I just backed off because there wasn't any. I saw no reason. I wasn't gaining anything from it. So I think we're probably done with that. Okay. Um, what happened in the hearing also with Senator heated. Mark Wayne Mullen? I don't know what to say about though. Yeah. Uh, Sean O'Brien, the head of the Teamsters Union, mm -hmm. who was sat at this desk. Yep. All these people have been on with us. We like yeah. they're real people. <laughs> yep. This blew up into something because I guess Sean O'Brien's been tweeting about Mark Wayne Mullen. Mm-hmm. As we hear, he's reading one of these Quit tweets. Quit the Tough Guy Act and these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Okay. Sir, this is oh a boy. time, this is a place. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? What? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. What? You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Big oh, oh, stop it. Okay, so they get up. No, no, Everybody's out of their chair. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're okay. a United Bernie States Sanders, Senate. the chairman. Active. Oh, okay. okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Mr. Hold Shen. it. Hold it. What we can't, is going no, on? I have the mic. I'm sorry. This is Hold what it. he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a hearing. <laughs> Sit God down. knows the American people have enough of contempt. But Congress, let's not I don't make like it thugs and bullies. You, you have, and you I don't like you because you just described yourself. Oh, wait a minute. They're going to get up again. You have the mic. Yeah. You have time. 
I, this it, is what the wild. American people are seeing today instead of an effort to fund the government, which apparently also will happen before this day is over. Yeah, about an hour and a half, Joe. Was there another one? There was a third That's one, right? That's the vote. Yeah. We'll talk about it on Balance of Power later. <laughs> uh, meet uh, Kaylee and I, Balance of Power, Bloomberg TV, 5 o'clock. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.